What's up everybody? This is your host, Sir Dr. Jam. Welcome to another episode of One Man Watchpoint and Overwatch Podcast. If you're new around here, this is a podcast where we look at everything going on in the wonderful world of Overwatch. You can get this podcast on Apple Podcast Services right now, and we're working on getting on other services as well. Now, if you're new around here, usually the show goes a little something like this. We start by covering the latest and greatest news in the wonderful world of Overwatch, and then we move on to the Owl Recap, where we look at the previous week in the Overwatch League. And finally, we close out the show by looking at the upcoming matches in the Overwatch League. Now this week, we've got a fair amount to cover, being that it was our first week back for the Overwatch League, so I'm going to dive right in there, but we'll start with the news. My first news story this week comes from DottieSports.com, posted by George Geddes, and it reads like this, Overwatch won't be getting another hero this year, Jeff Kaplan says. In an interview with Stylosa, Kaplan said, Although the Overwatch development team is creating new heroes, they will not be added to Overwatch. Instead, these new heroes will debut in Overwatch's sequel, which is rumored to be released either later this year or next year. And there's a quote from Jeff in this article that goes, I don't think we'll see more heroes for Overwatch, Kaplan said. We're heavily focused on Overwatch 2 at this point. We know how much people love new heroes. We're making a bunch of new heroes for Overwatch 2. Now, this is obviously kind of a small uh, news article, but I wanted to put it in here because obviously it's caused a bit of an uproar online. Um, People are a little maybe upset that Echo is going to be the last hero to come to Overwatch. But with that said, I personally think that, I mean, as they pointed out in that article, uh, Overwatch's sequel is rumored to be released either later this year or early next. Um... I think this probably means that we're going to see Overwatch 2 sooner rather than later. Although, with cancellations and things in the Overwatch League, who knows what will happen. Just because Blizzard's business model and Activision's business model, I'm sure, has shifted quite a bit. um, Because of all the changes that have had to happen in the Overwatch League and everything due to coronavirus. So, regardless, I think that we'll probably see the game sooner rather than later. And I think this just is proof of that. Um... If the game was going to be much farther out, then I don't think Jeff would have said something like that, and I think they would probably at least have, you know, one or two more heroes in the pipeline. Um, Generally speaking, in a project pipeline like that, they probably know or knew exactly when they were going to stop putting heroes into the game. And, I mean, based on Jeff's comments, it sounds like they're not going to be doing that anymore, which means they must be ramping down on Overwatch 1. Now, that's all I really have to say about that article, so let's move on to the next. The next article reads like this. Thunder Doomfist revealed to celebrate Shock's 2019 championship. So this one actually comes from the Overwatch League website, and it was posted by Emerald Gao of Blizzard Entertainment. One day early last November, three members of the San Francisco Shock were herded backstage at BlizzCon, led through the entire length of the conference hall, and taken upstairs into a room overlooking one of the event stages. The players, Grant Moth, Espe, Jay Sinatra, Juan, and Matthew Super Delisi, all remember that walk, as well as the meeting that came after, clearly. After all, it's hard to forget the first time you lay eyes on your very own championship skin. 
Meet Thunder Doomfist, created by the Overwatch game development team to honor the San Francisco Shock's dominant championship run in the 2019 Overwatch League season. You can obviously go check out pictures of the skin online, um, either on the Overwatch League Twitter or anywhere else that you get your Overwatch League news. Now, looking at this skin, my personal impressions are it does actually look pretty badass. I think it's really cool. It's a really nice looking Doomfist skin. Um, I'm honestly a little bit torn though because I don't know that it so much uh, screams San Francisco to me. I think they went a little more creative than they did with the London Spitfire skin of the previous Overwatch League season. Um, I think you look at the London Spitfire skin and you know it's a London Spitfire skin. Obviously, it is the same colors as the team. Um, and not only that, it actually sort of embodies what the team team name is, right? A Spitfire is, of course, a World War II fighter plane, I believe. Um, I could be wrong about that. could be World War One, But regardless, it looks like a Spitfire. You look at that and you see a plane, which is also in their logo and everything. Whereas this Doomfist skin, although it's very, very cool and has a lot of style to it and a really unique look, um, you know, Doomfist himself looks kind of chiseled, kind of made out of rock, and he's got these cracks shown in him, kind of like an earthquake almost kind of thing, which does very much embody San Francisco. Um, and then his arm has got this kind of I don't know, purple juice flowing through it that I guess looks kind of electrical like the shock, I guess. But ultimately, overall, I think they could have just even tweaked the colors a little bit to make it a lot more San Francisco shock. I did see one fan mock-up on Twitter where the, the purple in his right arm were was made to be orange. And I actually thought that that was a really good twist on it. I thought that actually kind of screamed San Francisco a lot more than this purple arm but hey honestly it's it's very cool um i like it a lot and will i be getting it uh oh if i read later on in the article it actually says that it's available march 26th to april 9th so it is available for a limited time but will i be getting it i don't really think so just because a i never play doomfist because i suck at him but b i think i'd rather wait and see what the um MVP skin for Sinatra looks like. Sorry, I had to think about that for a second there. Because I really like the um, uh, Jonax skin that they have for uh, the New York XL with uh, with Zenyatta. I think that one is, is very cool. So I think I'm going to wait for that one instead. And also, I looked today, I only have 216 Overwatch League tokens, and you can't earn them anymore watching games, which really sucks, and which means that I have to conserve them. So that's that. And that's what the skin looks like. Go check it out. It definitely is a very cool skin, like I say. Moving on from there. The next article I have is actually from a new site that I'd never been to. Um, but I was reading a lot of other sites citing these guys as sort of breaking this story. So I'm actually just going to read the title and then I'll go right into the actual article. So it says this, Spitfire and Titans to move teams to South Korea, OWL schedule to be amended. And this was from ggrecon.com. And this article in particular was posted by Sasha Yiska Heinisch. So it reads like this. Following recent concerns due to the pandemic threat of COVID-19, 
The Vancouver Titans are in the process of relocating their players and staff to South Korea. Gigi Recon followed information from multiple sources, and upon reaching out for a comment, a spokesperson person, spokesperson for the Vancouver Titans said the following, quote, The team is currently in Vancouver, but I can confirm that we are working on relocating them back to South Korea imminently. End quote. The team is currently scheduled to be playing the Dallas Fuel on Sunday. It is currently unknown whether the team will play out the match. Furthermore, Vancouver Titans spokesperson stated they would be able to, quote, provide more detail next week when we have more clarity, end quote. Additionally, multiple sources inside the Overwatch League have confirmed to GG Recon that the London Spitfire have cancelled their scrim blocks for the next two months, allegedly indicating a relocation to South Korea. According to those sources, due to the team being made up entirely of South Korean citizens, it is likely that the Spitfire will send the team back to their home country. It is speculated that the reason for said relocation has to do with health concerns due to the COVID-19. Those sources disclosed that they didn't know the specific reason that led to the decision. Overwatch League schedule to be amended. Following the relocation of both teams, sources have confirmed to GG Recon that the season schedule will have to be amended to accommodate the new location of both teams. As part of their con contingency plan, the Overwatch League had divided teams into new regions based on the location of their home base to allow for competition to be moved to online play. The regional separation saw Asian teams numerically underrepresented as the only as only the four Chinese teams remained on the continent, with the dynasty having relocated to L.A. earlier. This had caused an asymmetric season schedule, putting teams of up to five times against each other. Putting teams up to five times against each other, sorry, over the maximum prior amount of two matches between interdivisional opponents, or requiring them to play each other on consecutive days during one weekend of play with both the Vancouver Titans and allegedly the London Spitfire taking residence in South Korea. It would, in theory, help even out the number of teams based in each region, allowing the Overwatch League to amend the schedule accordingly. It is currently not known how or if this will impact the schedule for the matches this coming weekend, though head coach of the Toronto Defiant Felix Fefe Munch, Munch has speculated on his stream that some matches may not be played. Furthermore, Munch elaborated that he believes Korean teams residing in America are worried about the level of health care they can expect to receive. According to the official Overwatch League schedule, the Spitfire is set to play the Eternal on Saturday in the Defiant the following day, while the Titans would play the Fuel later on Sunday. GG Recon reached out to the Titans to confirm whether this match will be played out and is yet to receive a reply as of time of publishing. GG Recon reached out to the London Spitfire and the Overwatch League, though have yet to receive a response. We will update once more information is received. So, bit of a long article there. I did read the whole thing, so head over to GG Recon, because I've never actually heard of them, and I'm sure they would love to get the click on that article. Now, that is very interesting. That's all very interesting, because... As we now know, having just witnessed this past weekend's matches, um, London and Vancouver both did not play, causing both of their games to also, uh, both of their opponents, sorry, to also not play. Um, the Dallas Fuel didn't play, and I forget who London was supposed to play. I know Toronto was mentioned in there, and Tor Toronto did actually end up playing Boston, but they may have been supposed to play them on Sunday, and Toronto only had the one game on Saturday. 
So anyways, I'll get to the matches that did occur this weekend uh, shortly, but very interesting because hopefully this actually does allow these teams to continue playing. Because so far, I mean, as we all know from every week of this episode, my dear Vancouver Titans haven't gotten to play since the first couple of weeks there. Um, I'm sure I'm not the only one who's very missing, very much missing watching them play and hoping to see the standings get a bit shaken up now that we have a couple more of these teams playing, but at the same time waiting on the London Spitfire and the Vancouver Titans to really take the stage again to see where they will end up. So that's all I'm going to say for that for now, mostly because I'll touch on some of those games later on when I go into the OWL recap. Now, my next article is again from .esports.com, this time posted by Liz Richardson, and it reads like this. This week's Overwatch competitive hero pools remove four damage heroes. So I'm going to read a snippet of her article here, but go ahead and head over there and give her the read and the click. Overwatch developers are getting progressively wilder with their hero pools experiments in competitive mode. The hero pools feature normally, quote, disables for heroes in competitive mode in an effort to stir up the week's meta or most popular team composition. This week, the developers have decided to throw caution to the wind and disable six heroes, including four damage dealers. Soldier 76, McCree, Widowmaker, and Sombra will be disabled from March 26th to April 2nd. Tank, Diva, and Support Bass, Baptiste sorry, are also banned this week. This is the first time that more than four heroes have been removed from the, from the rotation since the Hero Pools feature was brought to competitive mode earlier this month. This is Baptiste's second time being disabled. Now, as uh, I mentioned, Liz does go into more details about uh, you know what some of that means and what some of that will change up. However, my personal thoughts on this were actually pretty in line with what she said, but go ahead and give her the click. So it's really interesting seeing those four heroes being pulled out, in particular Soldier, McCree, Widowmaker, and Sombra, because that does in a lot of ways hamper um, sort of the effective uh, pool of commonly used characters, which I mean, hey, is the point of all this. But Soldier, I think, in a lot of ways is sort of the default character that a lot of people will just go to because, I mean, he was literally designed to be pl be a bit of an easier, more welcoming character for people who weren't familiar with sort of this hero genre of game. Um, but I think you do see him get played or switched onto a lot when teams are struggling to come out on top because he is a little bit more point and click than a lot of other characters. Now, McCree and Widowmaker, as we all know, both long-range um, sort of sniper characters, and also both very popular in the competitive scene because they have a lot of uh, a lot of capability, both hang out in the back line and making ranged plays possible, um, allowing your your front line to really push forward. And then, of course, Sombra being the other one, um, which I do find very interesting because Sombra, I think, was put into the game as sort of a wild card. Um, in order to shake things up a bit, because obviously she can infiltrate a backline that maybe is playing with a Widowmaker or, or a McCree, or has their um, support uh, players hanging out in the back a little more, and she can kind of sneak back and hopefully take out some of that and reduce some of their effectiveness. So 
that really does cripple a lot of what I see in the competitive scene. Um, a lot of the online competitive players, I think, gravitate towards. You know, Soldier is probably the only, the odd one out there. I think McCree and Widowmaker are definitely very popular, and Sombra as kind of a shake-up, hey, you know, we need to change something, let's try this. Um, Diva and Baptiste are both also interesting. Diva, because she's probably the go-to off-tank, but that said, with her being out, there's a lot of opportunity for Zarya players. And then Baptiste, obviously, I think with him being new to uh, the game towards the end of last Overwatch League season, um, I think he had been getting a fair amount of play, but it'll be interesting to see who kind of steps up in his place. But I also don't think he was the most played either. So I think his is kind of a bit of a moot point. Some people will feel it. A lot of people won't. Now, what's really interesting about this article is that not only did they disable six characters instead of four, they also seemingly just went crazy with with it being four damage characters and only one tank and one support. I know I had talked about on a previous episode where I thought it might be interesting if maybe they did two tanks and two supports or something like that. Um, I think that would kind of break things in a different way. I don't think I actually considered them banning more than four heroes, though, which does make this interesting because, you know, with a limited number of tanks, and especially if you even want to divide them into main tanks and off tanks, it really it does kind of cripple uh, teams in a lot of ways if you knock out two tanks or two supports. So I think that is actually kind of a more acceptable, more reasonable way to go about it is just saying, well, hey, you know, proportionally, when we only have, I'm not even sure if the number is actually six at this point, but if we only have six tank characters, we ban one, well, we're now banning... 17% of our our choice base for tanks. Um, so when you look at that proportionally to the damage characters, where there's whatever there are, I can't even remember off the top of my head, call it 20. There's 20 characters. When you're only banning two characters out of those 20, you know, that's that's 10%. So that's, you know, just not really, not quite an equivalent amount. Whereas if you ban more characters, it sort of evens that out and makes it a little more I, I don't know if I want to say fair just because I don't know that it's fair but it is a little more equivalent I guess would be would be the word to use so it is interesting that they're doing that do I think something like that would ever make its way to say the Overwatch League not really because then I think you are sort of imposing too many restrictions I know the hero pool ban was a bit of a bit of a shock to most fans of the league and that kind of thing because i think that is one of the sort of unique things about the game versus other you know competitive um not even just esports but competitive physical sports where you have all this choice when it comes to the actual members of your team in terms of their skill as it applies to specific characters and when you've got a character pool of say 30 characters then you've got your team of say you know even if it's six eight ten people each one has different strengths on different characters so it does add a lot of variety so as soon as you're limiting that variety it restricts the players and uh the the obvious obviously the competition in a lot of ways so i don't think we would ever see something like that come to the you know, Overwatch League or the more com even more competitive levels outside of the actual 
competitive game mode in game. But regardless, it's an interesting thing to read about, and it's an interesting experiment, that's for sure. So that's all I had for news that I wanted to go into. And a part of that is because some of the news I was going to cover would have been how many games were coming up this weekend, um, as well as those games that then got canceled this weekend. But because I'm recording on Sunday night here on March 29th, I'm actually just going to dive into the OWL recap, and I'll go into those matches that happened this weekend, and we can talk about what those looked like. Obviously, I'm not going to cover any matches that happened in Week 7, because we didn't have Week 7. Originally, that was supposed to be the return to the um, Overwatch League. However, that didn't happen because a number of places were shut down, put on, you know, whatever, stay-at-home order, I think was the official word, for the state of California, which really hampered things, so a ton of, so most games were just straight-up cancelled, postponed, that kind of thing. So... Let's look at the Overwatch League recap for Week 8. So originally this weekend was supposed to have 16 games played, I believe, and that number did get dropped down to 10 after some of the London Spitfire controversy, and by controversy I just mean them, you know, up and leaving back to South Korea, as I already discussed, um, as well as the Vancouver Titans, as well as a few other teams. Um, uh, obviously, I was really looking forward to seeing the Vancouver Titans get back at it. And currently, we don't know when we'll see them again. It really, really does kind of suck. But being that most of those uh, players are Korean citizens, they have gone back to Korea, um, which hopefully will allow them to sh set up shop there and they can play their games from there. And hopefully, we'll see some of our favorite titans coming back but regardless let's get into the games that did happen now bear with me one sec while i actually pull up the match details for these matches because i didn't do that ahead of time and i do want to pull it up because a few of the games were at ridiculous hours where i am so i didn't watch them obviously those would be the primarily chinese teams so saturday march 28th started i think the time that the game was played in my time was something like 2 a.m. No, I did not stay up to watch that. No, I did not have time to watch it afterwards. But it looks like it was the Gangzhou Charge taking on the Shanghai Dragons. Now, I am sort of a, a bit of a fan of the Shanghai Dragons. I was really looking forward to seeing them play this season. And obviously, because they're in China right now, uh, I didn't watch that game, as I mentioned. So, Looking at the match breakdown, it was 0-3 to for Shanghai. Shanghai 3-0, Gangzhou. I can't say I'm incredibly surprised by that. I think looking at their roster ahead of time, as well as their previous seasons, I was expecting Shanghai to come out pretty strong. They were, I believe, your uh, Stage 3 winners last season. However, looking at things, you know, it, yep, it does look fairly one-sided i mean it's not like they outplayed them completely on any of the maps i mean looking at the first map nepal uh gangzhou did get one and shanghai got two looking at route 66 gangzhou two shanghai three looking at eichenwald gangzhou one shanghai two so really you know at least gangzhou was having some level of success there um but at the same time you know, obviously disappointing for Gangzhou fans, 
and exciting, I'm sure, for Shanghai fans. Like I say, I would have loved to see that game, but I wasn't staying up till 2 a.m. that day. The following game after that was the Hangzhou Spark against the Chengdu Hunters. And it looks like Hangzhou took it 3-2. Let's take a look at the details there. Maybe, uh, uh, just taking a look, I would say a little more one-sided, or a little more two-sided here. But at the same time, yeah, I don't know. I'm just looking at the breakdown now. You know, Ilios, two points to, Shang, to Chengdu, one point for Hangzhou. So, I mean, Chengdu won the first round. Uh, Chengdu then came out strong on the second round in Dorado. They got one point. Hangzhou got nothing. And then it looks like Hangzhou had a reverse sweep from there, taking it in Numbani, taking it in Paris, and taking it in Oasis. So, actually... I'm sure that was a fairly exciting game, even for, for Chengdu hunters who, or for Chengdu fans, who wound up losing, obviously. But, you know, it looked good in the beginning, and I guess it's just too bad that uh, Hangzhou was able to, to turn things around after that. Now, let's get into the matches that I did watch. Now, I actually, I mean, I didn't watch all of these matches start to finish. I watched most of them for the most part, but I'll dive into a little bit of the details. When we look at the third game, what was technically the third game on Saturday, I think this game took place at 1 or 2 in the afternoon for me, whereas the previous games before that, uh, Gangzhou versus Shanghai, was 2 in the morning, and then Chengdu versus Hangzhou was 4 in the morning. So a little more reasonable for me to watch a 2 p.m. game, and I believe it was 2, 4, and 6 even. So, 2 o'clock, we saw Toronto Defiant take on the Boston Uprising. Now, as I mention every time they come up, I'm usually pulling for Toronto, just because I would like to see them come out on top, because they're a Canadian team. I know Boston has not had a ton of success in the season so far, so I wasn't incredibly surprised to see the outcome of this, um, and it did wind up with Toronto pulling out the win, 3-1. to one. Now, just taking a quick glance at some notes I took during the uh, the game. Um, I wasn't seeing a ton of impressive play from Boston. I think they were really struggling to kind of find their feet. Um, the big thing was Jerry is really, in my opinion, the only one that was stepping up on their team. He was able to uh, play Hanzo really effectively, really stick to that back line and uh, pick off people. However, when you've got one star player and nobody else is really, you know, holding up the pants, it just doesn't really end up working out that well. Um, I even, um, looking at, you know, let's say Hollywood, which was the one map that Boston did take, I wound up saying, or writing down here, uh, Toronto, what were they doing on attack? They let up on the gas. So, you know, just looking at that, it was almost more on Toronto that they lost that map, whereas it was less on Boston for winning that map. So looking at the match details, Toronto took Busan 2-0, uh, Toronto took Rialto 1-0, and then Boston took Hollywood 3-0. So, you know, they cleared that map, and Toronto couldn't make anything work out. It was It was very confusing, but like I said, it was much more, I think, on Toronto losing that map than it was on Boston actually winning that map. And then the final map uh, was Hanamura, and Toronto took it 
So I always enjoy seeing Toronto win, at least for now. And as we know, I like Sherfor, so I was happy to see that as well, see him play a little bit. Um, but really, the next match was the one that I was looking forward to on Saturday. Actually, uh, the next two matches I was really looking forward to on Saturday. The first one was the Los Angeles Valiant playing against the Seoul Dynasty. Obviously, I was excited to see this game because this was our return match for Seoul. Um, I don't think we've seen Seoul play at all this season, so I was very excited to see them come out. And I actually wound up cheering for them this match, and it wound up working out in my favor because Seoul took it 3-0, and which, after seeing today's games, a little bit surprising. Uh, LA played very well today, but I'll cover that in a little bit. So... First time seeing Soul back in action. We had Fitz on McCree. We had Profit on Tracer. And, you know, in the start, I didn't think Soul was looking super good. Um, but I think they did look decent. They looked like they were pretty strong. And they looked like they had um, a pretty decent lineup going. But even, you know, after the first map, the first map was Nepal. Um, Soul did take it 2-0. But I wasn't too too impressed i didn't think there was anything too standout going on then in the second map it was dorado and it soul took it 2-1 and that's when i really thought soul kind of found their footing and i thought they looked really strong they looked really clean the team seemed to work really well together and i was uh significantly more impressed with them than i was in the first round not that i didn't think they did well because obviously they did but i didn't see anything super standout and it wasn't until that map two that I really thought they they kind of stepped up their game and seemed like more of a team. So, I mean, not a ton to say about that. Obviously, the important thing was I think they just needed some time to get their footing, which, you know, this is obviously even a different environment because all these matches were played online. So none of the teams are used to that. So just, you know, another layer on top of the fact that they haven't played a game this season, on top of the fact that, they have new players on top of the fact that LA has new players, you know. There's all these different elements that really we should be talking about at the beginning of the season, but obviously many of these matches were postponed greatly or just didn't take place, postponed, canceled, whatever. So lots of factors come into play there. Now then, moving on to our final match of Saturday. It was the San Francisco Shock versus the Los Angeles Gladiators. Now, I was pulling for the Los Angeles Gladiators, of course, being that San Francisco is a bit of a rival to Vancouver, and the Los Angeles Gladiators did not disappoint pulling out a 3-1 to win against the San Francisco Shock. Now, looking at the details of their matches, um, it wasn't flawless necessarily, but it was a very good showing for the Los Angeles Gladiators. They took the first map, they took the control map um, on Ilios 2-0, which, first of all, was a great start for them. They then took Route 66 1-0, which I, um, I should point out, I'm very excited to see Route 66 back because I love Route 66. It's probably Route 66 and Eichenwald are probably two of my favorite maps. So I was very excited to see that. However, you can obviously see even the fact that the Los Angeles Gladiators only got one point on that map. It's not like they made a ton of progress on Route 66, but unfortunately San Francisco couldn't even get one point. So looking good for Los Angeles at that point, um, being they were up 2-0. Match point on Numbani, 
San Francisco managed to pull out a win and make it 3-2. And then we moved on to Volskaya, which LA could have put it away. San Francisco managed to put up enough of a fight that it was actually a draw on that fourth map, forcing a map five. However, one of the things I wrote in my notes was San Francisco really struggling with control. And being that map five is always going to be a control map, that did not bode well for them. After they flubbed so hard on Ilios, I definitely thought that the Los Angeles Gladiators could take it on Oasis. And sure enough, they did 2-0 again. So really interesting, um, sort of, you know, call it a bit of a slip up for San Francisco. I noticed on uh, on Ilios in the beginning, they played uh, Anz and Striker on DPS for starters. And I, I did think that was odd because we're so used to seeing Sinatra play um, on the DPS side, especially with his Doomfist being so strong and his Tracer being so strong and seeing Tracer played quite often these days i really thought we were you know i would have said it was a no-brainer that we'd see sinatra on damage however i'm not actually sure in the first round if he even played let me just double check no and it looks like he didn't it was striker Anz, smurf choyobin architect and violet so they didn't have moth they didn't have super and they didn't have sinatra which was a little bit surprising. Granted, I think they're, you know, trying some things out, trying to let a, a couple players, you know, stretch their legs a little more. So, you know, good for them for allowing their players to have that freedom. But I did think it was odd because, in my opinion, the Los Angeles Gladiators are one of the better teams in the league right now. Um, I know their record doesn't necessarily show that, but I think they're, you know, maybe a top six team. I think they'll uh, they'll definitely, once they get their feet under them a little bit, and once we get a little more regular of a season, uh, grr, hopefully they'll be able to pick things up a little bit as well. Moving on to Route 66, we still had Striker and Architect on damage. We then had uh, Troyobin and Architect swapped out for Smurf and Super, which, okay, we're now bringing Super in, so, you know, getting some more of the A-line brought back in. And then Architect and uh, Violet. Oh, interesting. Architect, who normally plays damage, but who was playing support on Ilios, swapped out for Moth and Violet on support on Route 66. So again, you know, bringing in two of sort of, call them the A-line, the A-team, with Super and Moth, but they even still, they weren't able to make much happen. We then, on Numbani, saw yet another change with their lineup, where they put Sinatra in the tank role with Super. So we still have Violet and Moth on uh, on support there, which I'd say that's their A-line. We had Striker and Architect on damage, and then Sinatra and Super. So that definitely left me wondering what's happening with Choyobin. Um, I actually didn't realize that he played the first map there, so I was a little bit, uh, I was wondering if it was a regional thing, but even looking ahead, looking Volskaya is, was the same lineup as Numbani, as well as Oasis. So I'm not too sure why they were playing that. Um, you know, I mean, I'm sure they had faith in their team and everything, but I did think it was a little bit of an interesting lineup choice there. Regardless of all of that, the Los Angeles Gladiators looked really quite strong. If I'm looking at all my notes, all my notes are about San Francisco because I think, in my opinion, they were expected to win. I don't think many people would have put their money on LA 
However, like I said, I do like the LA team a lot. And I do think that they're, uh, they have a really good lineup, especially with, um, you know, someone like Birdring coming onto their lineup, um, as well as uh, Mirror looked fairly strong on Doomfist. So I enjoyed that. And OG and Space on their tank line. Um, I think OG, especially this weekend, played really well, um, especially on the match today as well. Uh, today being Sunday, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Now, one thing I noticed we don't talk about too, too much is the Los Angeles Gladiators support line. Why that is, I'm not too sure. I just find maybe they're not making those super incredible plays with uh, Big Goose and Shaz for the most part. But I do think that's a little bit interesting because maybe that gives them you know, somewhere where they want to... Uh, to flex a little bit now looking at say oasis i do see that they actually move mirror off dps and onto support so hey you know they're letting their players play around a little bit with their roles and everything not to the extent of san francisco but i have to assume that san francisco has something had something in mind when doing that now that was the last match of the day for saturday so saturday went like this gangzhou charge zero to shanghai dragons three Chengdu Hunters 2 to Hangzhou Spark 3, Toronto Defiant 3 to Boston Uprising 1, Los Angeles Valiant 0 to Seoul Dynasty 3, San Francisco Shock 1 to Los Angeles Gladiators 3. So overall, a fairly interesting day. Um, exciting if you're a Seoul fan, exciting if you're you know a Shanghai fan. For the most part, even exciting if you're a Hangzhou, Chengdu, or Gangzhou fan, because that was their first matches played. So, it was a good Saturday, but I actually probably had more fun on Sunday. So let's look at Sunday's matches. If we look at the first match of the day, which again was at something like 2am my time, so I did not watch this one, but I'll go into it a little bit. We had the Chengdu Hunters coming out on top, 3-0 against Shanghai. So a bit of a surprise there, being that Shanghai 3-0 Gangzhou the day before. However, um, well, and on top of that, uh, Hangzhou beat Chengdu 3-2. Um, that said, I think this is a big win for Chengdu. I think, I know last season, it really seemed like they were, they were pushing, pushing, pushing. They were almost there, but just not quite. They could almost beat, they could consistently almost beat the best teams, but not quite. So, you know, hopefully this is a bit of a turning point for them. Obviously, I don't think Hangzhou, who they played on Saturday, is one of those necessarily top teams. Whereas I do think I have a lot more faith in Shanghai, and they 3 0 them today. So, you know, maybe that's a reflection on Shanghai. I don't really know because I didn't watch the match. But looking at the breakdown, this is how it went. So, match one was on Nepal for control. We had Chengdu taking it 2 0 against Shanghai. Map two was Dorado, where Chengdu took it against Shanghai 2 1. And map three was Eichenwald, where Chengdu took it 1-0. So actually, Eichenwald is probably the most interesting one there. Um, because, you know, Chengdu only took one point. Shanghai actually didn't get a point. So that says to me that Chengdu probably put up a very solid defense, managing to stave off Shanghai for that whole time. Um, or maybe Chengdu just managed to get lucky and break through on Shanghai there, managed to cap the point, and from that, they took it 1-0. So, not entirely expected. However, I, you know, honestly, I'm not that big of a Chengdu fan. So, 
maybe for the Hunters fans out there, that was totally expected, and Shanghai sucks. I don't know. Now, moving on to the next game, which I believe was at 4 a.m. my time. So again, I did not watch this one. And this one was fairly close again. This was uh, 2 to 3, Hangzhou versus Gangzhou, and it was, of course, in favor of Gangzhou. So now, before I move on, one of the interesting things you see here, Shanghai won their game on Saturday, lost their game on Sunday. Gangzhou won, lost their game on Saturday, won their game on Sunday. Chengdu lost their game on Saturday, won their game on Sunday. And Hangzhou won their game on Saturday, lost their game on Sunday. So actually quite interesting and, you know, in a lot of ways quite balanced. Um, both of the games that Hangzhou played in actually wound up 3-2. One in their favor, one not in their favor. So that's interesting because that kind of says to me that maybe Hangzhou is in a similar position as to what I mentioned when it comes to uh, Chengdu last season, where they can almost beat the best teams, but not quite. Now, obviously, in terms of all four of those teams, it is relatively early to say that, just because of the fact that um, this was all of their first games this season. So let's look a little bit at the Hangzhou Spark versus the Gangzhou Charge. Again, Gangzhou took it 3-2. And the match went like this on Oasis for control. Gangzhou took it 2-0. On Dorado, we saw Hangzhou take it 1-0. On Eichenwald, Gangzhou took it 1-0. On Hanamura, Hangzhou took it 3-2. And on map 5, Nepal, control. Gangzhou took it 2-1. So again, a, a similar thing as what I was just mentioning with the previous game where uh, it was Chengdu versus Shanghai where Eichenwald was decided by one point. Um, Dorado was actually decided by one point as well. So those are both interesting because I think last season, that's not something we saw a lot. I think we really saw teams, sort of steamrolling teams, dominating teams. I don't think we often saw 1-0. I Actually, being that last season was the first Overwatch League season I was really into, I was really a fan of and keeping track of and watching consistently and everything. I definitely thought... Oh, it's interesting that they always seem to get it uh, three points. You know, I'm talking obviously on the uh, the escort maps. It really seemed like they would always get all three points, and then it would always go to an extra round, and it would always be who can push it the farthest in their amount of time, right? So I did think that that would be the case this season as well, but that's really not something we're seeing. So that's that's actually quite interesting because I think that probably comes down a lot to a um, the roll lock, the 2-2-2, as well as the uh, hero bands. I think they're making a big difference to sort of balance things out and honestly, in my opinion, make matches a lot more interesting. So let's move on to the next match because this one I did actually watch. I'm just going to flip through my notes here. So this was the Florida Mayhem against the Atlanta Rain. Now, let's take a look at the details. It looks like Florida lost 0 to Atlanta's 3 and of course, it was a sad day to be a Florida fan. Now, as I've mentioned before, you know, call me a closeted Florida fan or whatever you want to call me. I was really looking forward to seeing them this season and seeing them as a new team because they largely rebuilt their roster, just like Toronto did. And looking at the standings right now, they are separated by a one-point map differential. That's it. Toronto's in 16th place and Florida's in 17th, both with six games played, both with a record of two and four. 
So really, I should just stop hoping these teams win. But this is one of those games that Florida, in my opinion, could have taken. Um, even though, you know, I mean, at this point, Atlanta is a top five team. But they've only played four matches. So I think they're, you know, it's a little bit skewed there. Although that's probably a pretty good representation of them. Because I do think they're stepping up. Whereas a team like Florida, I don't think is. I think they need to get a win so they can maybe inspire some confidence because right now all I see is really them struggling. All of my notes that I took in in this match were about Atlanta and how well they seem to be doing. One player in particular that I wanted to mention was Edison on Tracer because he was really looking good. He was um, really, in a lot of ways, not holding up the team because I think Atlanta played a very strong game, but he was sort of the star of the show, the MVP, if you will. Um, and I think he made a big difference. And with that said, Florida and Atlanta, for the most part, were both running very similar comps the whole the whole uh, match. I think they both were going Tracer Hanzo, Sigma Orisa, Brig, and Zen. So in a lot of ways, um, Atlanta made it look easy at times. And although Florida had, you know, a couple of plays that were really standout, I don't think they were able to be consistent enough to really take out Atlanta. The match looked like this. Busan was taken by Atlanta 2-1. to one. Route 66 was taken by Atlanta 4-3. to three. And Eichenwald was taken by Atlanta 3-2. to two. Now this actually demonstrates what I was talking about in the past uh, two games I was talking about there with Route 66 and Eichenwald. Um, in these matches, we saw, you know, Atlanta win Route 66 four to three. So both teams were able to complete the full course, and then it went into that extra time or extra round, whatever you want to call it. So that I think is a lot more consistent consistent with what we saw last season. Um, whereas I don't think we're seeing that this much this season. So you know, with Atlanta being right now in the top five. And Florida being, you know, honestly in the bottom five, I believe. Does, does 16th place put them in the bottom five? 17th? Sure does, out of 20 teams. Um, I think that maybe that's a sign of, of what we'll see once we see some of the, the top teams really playing against each other a little more. But regardless, that's how the match turned out. Now, moving on to the next match of the day. It was the Seoul Dynasty playing against the Los Angeles Gladiators. So, as I mentioned, um, it was exciting to see Seoul play the day before, and it was also exciting to see Los Angeles play the day before, especially with Los Angeles coming up with the big win 3-1 to one over San Francisco. Um, that must have felt really good for them, and they must have had a lot of confidence going into this match. However, Seoul also would have had a lot of confidence coming off of their first win of the season, and uh, ready to play a team like the Los Angeles Gladiators. Now, this match um, wound up going in favor of Seoul again, 3-0. and And looking at the overall rankings from this weekend, that actually makes the Seoul Dynasty our big winner of the week because they are the only team that won both their games this weekend. They won against uh, both LA teams even, the Los Angeles Valiant on Saturday and the Los Angeles Gladiators on Sunday. So the match went a little something like this. Nepal went in favor of Seoul, 2-1. Rialto went in favor of Seoul, 3-2. Eichenwald was actually a tie with both teams pulling up three, uh, three points. And Volskaya went in favor of Seoul, 2-1. So, you know, exciting stuff to see both those teams playing. 
like I say, you know, I like both teams. I do think Seoul is probably probably the better team knowing their history and everything. I was hoping Los Angeles, uh, the Gladiators in this case, would be the better team. Um, you know, if I had to pick one, I'd probably rather cheer for the Gladiators over the Dynasty. But, you know, I don't have a super big horse in the game, so I'm happy to see both teams win. And I'm happy to see Seoul get, you know, pick up two wins this weekend, especially with it being their opening weekend. The next and final match of the weekend was another big one because it was the former champions, the San Francisco Shock, playing against the Los Angeles Valiant. Now, this game was probably, if I had to pick one match of the weekend, this was probably the most exciting match. Now, why don't I pick the San Francisco Shock playing the Los Angeles Gladiators the day before. The reason for that is because I would have put, although I would have put my money on San Francisco, I would have put more money on the Los Angeles Gladiators winning that match than I would have on the Los Angeles Valiant winning their match against San Francisco on Sunday. Now, what happened? Both the LA teams beat San Francisco. Let me repeat that. Both LA teams beat San Francisco. The Los Angeles Valiant also won it with a score of 3-1 to one over San Francisco. So not only did both LA teams beat San Francisco, both LA teams beat San Francisco with the same score. So the match breakdown actually went a little something like this. Map 1, Busan went to the Los Angeles Valiant 2-1. to one. Dorado went to San Francisco Shock 4-3. to three. Numbani went to the Los Angeles Valiant 6-5. to five. And Paris went to the Los Angeles Valiant 3 to two. Now, what was going on here? Looking at the map on uh, Busan in round one, it did go to the Los Angeles Valiant, even though, as I wrote down in my notes here, it was Stryker and Sinatra back on DPS. It was Super and Choyobin on tank. And I don't know why, but somehow Los Angeles Valiant came out on top. I, I they either they figured out their secret sauce or something, but they managed to take it two to one. Now, okay, as I mentioned uh, previously, when San Francisco was playing the Gladiators, maybe they were struggling on control. So that you know, this adds further evidence to that theory. So let's look at Dorado. Sure enough, Dorado San Francisco takes it four to three. Now again, this is another case of we're seeing the matches go all the way in the. Um, in the actual, uh, what's it called, escort maps. So, you know, San Francisco, call that a strong point of theirs. If we look at Numbani, which is a hybrid map, obviously it went 6-5 in favor of the Los Angeles Valiant, but again, they managed to both take it all the way and then go into the extra rounds. Now, Numbani was a bit of a, I don't want to say fluke, maybe a bit of an accident because I think there were, towards the end there, there were a couple of San Francisco's players that were on the payload and actually stepped off of it and in the middle of overtime, and it expired very quickly. But at the same time, I don't want to discredit the Los Angeles Valiant in being able to push it right to that sixth point. So Los Angeles definitely had a really good showing. And then when we moved on to Paris for map four, we actually saw... The Los Angeles Valiant, in my opinion, have a very dominant match over San Francisco Shock. Even though the score did end up 3-2, it was, it was all LA, if you ask me. 
Um, sure, San Francisco was able to break through, but for the most part, the Los Angeles Valiant really kept San Francisco in check, kept them under control, and was able to um, really sort of take the reins of the game in that map four, which obviously made all the difference. Now, a couple of, uh, you know, standouts on the Los Angeles Valiant there. Uh, like I said, you know, I'm just looking through my notes here. Uh, I wrote LAV with a very impressive showing on Paris, which is absolutely true. I think in large part that was uh, due to their their damage line uh, with KSP and KSF, um, as well as McGravy on tank. I think he, he made a big difference. Um, and then KSP's Tracer and McCree. I think all, all match KSP was, was doing very, very well. So that's what this weekend's matches looked like. And as I mentioned already, the big winners that came out on top with two wins, one win on Saturday, one win on Sunday, uh, were the Seoul Dynasty. Um, there were actually no other teams that played two games that won both of their games. So really, the big winner for this past weekend was only the Seoul Dynasty. And the big loser, shocking to say, especially shocking to say this early on in the season, uh, was the San Francisco Shock. They're the only team that lost both of their matches this past weekend. Very, very interesting. Very exciting stuff to see. And does give me a bit more faith in, honestly, the hero pool and the 2-2-2 roll lock. Even though we saw the roll lock towards the end of last season, um, I think there were a bit of balancing changes that needed to happen, especially with, you know, Sigma and with Baptiste coming in. But who knows what is yet to come, especially with a character like Echo coming into play soon. Now, normally, the next section I would do is a section I call Owl Flying Atcha, where we look at the upcoming week's games in the Overwatch League. So I would like to pull that up right now, and if I, um, I'm on the Overwatch League website, and if I switch to Week 9, it actually still doesn't show any games. So I'm really not sure what's coming up this next week. Hopefully, maybe we'll get to see Vancouver play. Um, who knows if that'll actually happen, but I can cross my fingers that their relocation takes maybe a week or two, and they'll all be set up and ready to go, and we'll see the return of them. However, in the absence of that, I do want to take a look at the standings. Now that we've had, um, you know, a number, well, I think we've had every team play at least one game at this point now, um, with those Chinese teams finally getting to play as well as Seoul. Um, and in fact, I think all of them got to play two games this, this weekend. So very exciting stuff. Now let's take a look and see where things have netted out. In our first position, the number one spot, we have a new first place with the Seoul Dynasty being in number one with two wins and zero losses with two maps played. Now, the only reason they're in the first spot, this is the only reason, is because they have a map differential of plus six. If we look at the number two seed, it is currently the Vancouver Titans with, again, two wins, zero losses, two maps played. Now, they only have a map differential of plus four, which is why they're in second as opposed to first. But really, both teams having played two games, both teams having one game, uh, sorry, having lost no games, they are in the number one and two seed. Number three right now is the New York Excelsior with six games played and a record of five and one. Number four is the Philadelphia Fusion with a number of six games played and five wins, one loss, same as New York. And number five is the Atlanta Reign, 
in our number fifth position, four maps played or four matches played with three wins and one loss. So outside of those five, things drop down. Oh, actually, in number six, we have the Paris Eternal, six matches played with a record of four and two. And in number seven, we have London with five matches played and a record of three and two. So all of those teams, the top seven, have played a minimum of two games and have won at least two of those games. So again, you know, London and Atlanta have both won three games. And then in our first spots, first and second spot, Seoul and Vancouver have both played two. The reason I point that out is because once we get to the eighth spot where we have Chengdu, they have one win and one loss, but they only have two matches played. We then have all of the other Chinese teams. We have Hangzhou in ninth. We have Shanghai tied for ninth. We have Gangzhou in 11th. And the only reason all of that netted out the way it did is because of the map differential. So Hangzhou and Shanghai actually had both exactly the same record after this weekend. One and one, two matches played with a... Uh, map win-loss tie of 5-5-0. Five, five, and zero. So they actually have a differential of 0. Um, Gangzhou had map differential of minus 2. Chengdu had a map differential of plus 2. So 8 through 11 there is all of those teams that have only played 2 matches, and it, they just played this weekend. They won one, lost one. So, you know, interesting that that's where they all kind of netted out, right in the middle. Um, if they had lost all of their games, they would have dropped to the very bottom, because one other team that only has two games played is the Dallas Fuel, who have zero wins and two losses. They've lost their only two matches. So, interesting that they all won one, lost one, and placed right in the center there, whereas Seoul, obviously, won two and jumped right up to the top. So, looking at the rest of the standings there, um, after Gangzhou in 11th, we have the Los Angeles Valiant, in, also tied for 11th, actually, tied with the same record as Gangzhou. However, they have one more win and one more loss, but their differential nets out to a minus two as well. And then just below them, we have the Los Angeles Gladiators in 13th with uh, one win and two losses. So that was a, that was, those were big wins for both the LA teams this weekend. Um, for the Gladiators, that was their first one of the season. And for the Valiant, it was only their second. You know, it feels like we're really far into the season, but obviously we are not. Below both of them is the San Francisco Shock with one win and two losses. Um, now, that's interesting because that puts San Francisco just barely outside of bottom five. Now, again, a lot of these teams have played more games than some of these other teams, um, especially when we look at a team like San Francisco and L.A. Uh, the Gladiators, you know, they've both only played three games. But... Still interesting that they are placed where they are right now. Below that, in 15th, we have Washington Justice. 16th, we have the Toronto Defiant. 17th, Florida Mayhem. 18th, Houston Outlaws. 19th, Boston Uprising. And in last place, we have the Dallas Fuel. So, regardless, very interesting to look at the standings now. Um, and, of course, still, still enjoying seeing my Vancouver Titans on top. Who knows what will happen with them. Hopefully they'll get back on track and playing games soon. Especially if they're in South Korea where, I mean, as far as I know, where Seoul, like I know Seoul is in South Korea, but as far as I know, the team is based out of there as well. So hopefully, and I would say there's a good chance they have some connections, they have some ties that can help them really be set up and uh, 
establish a, a good, you know, home away from home, which is kind of really their home. But anyways, base there, and they can get back to playing. Now, I think that's all I want to cover this episode. This is probably actually going to wind up one of the longer episodes because we had so many games to cover. However, I had a lot of fun. I hope you did too. Of course, once again, this was One Man Watchpoint, an Overwatch podcast. I was your host, Sir Dr. Jam. In fact, I wasn't, well, I, I not I was your host. I still am your host, and I always will be. So go ahead and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Sir Dr. JM. That is S-I-R-D-R-J-M. Feel free to tweet at me. Feel free to post, send me a direct message, whatever you want to do. Um, if you have suggestions for the show, questions, comments, concerns, let me know, and I'll uh, go ahead and talk about them if I feel so inclined. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And as always, have yourself a wonderfully Overwatch-filled week.